there is also considerable confusion on this point. It is customary to consider that anything that passes through our minds is an idea. One says, I have an idea, then tries to understand what that means. That is the Cartesian concept of idea, as opposed to the Platonic one, which is an abstract, far-off point of reference. But that is not what we are referring to when we say idea. The idea is a point of reference, an element of strength that is capable of transforming life. It is a concept charged with value that becomes a concept of strength, something that can develop and make our relationship with others different. All that is an idea. But what is the source that the elements that make it possible to elaborate such ideas spring from? School, university, newspapers, books, teachers, technicians, television, and so on? What reaches us from these instruments of information and cultural elaboration? A considerable accumulation of information cascades down on us, boils inside us like a cauldron, making us produce opinions. We tend not to have ideas, but opinions. This is the tragic conclusion. What is an opinion? It is a flattened idea, an idea that has been uniformed in order to make it acceptable to the largest number of people. Opinions are massified ideas. It is important for power that those opinions be maintained, because it is through opinion, the control of opinion, that they obtain given results, not least the mechanisms of propaganda and electoral procedures through the use of the media. The formation of new power elites comes not from ideas, but from opinions. What does opposing oneself to opinion-making mean, then? Does it mean acquiring more information? That is, opposing counter-information to information? No, that is not possible, because no matter how you look at it, you cannot possibly oppose the vast amount of information we are bombarded with daily with counter-information capable of unmasking through a process of investigating hidden causes, the reality that has been covered up by all that informative chatter. No, we cannot operate in that direction. Whenever we attempt to do so, we realize that it is pointless, that we are not able to convince people. That is why anarchists always consider the problem of propaganda critically. Yes, of course, as you see, there is a well-stocked table here, as is always the case at initiatives or conferences of this kind. There are always our pamphlets, our books. We are overladen with papers and are very good at bringing out such publications. But that is not the only kind of work we need to do, and in any case, they do not contain elements of counter-information, or if they do, it is purely accidental. This work is aimed essentially, or should be, at building an idea or a number of leading ideas, a number of strong ideas. Let us give just one example. Over the past three or four years, an affair has developed that the newspapers have reported using horrible terms like tangent pulley or clean hands. Legal procedures, in course, where many politicians have been sentenced for having accepted money from the capitalists in exchange for contracts in the public work sectors, and so on. Now what has this operation unstilled in people's minds? It has built the opinion that the law is capable of setting things right, of sentencing politicians, changing conditions, so it can take us from the old concepts typical of the first Italian Republic to the new ones of the second Republic. This opinion, this process, is clearly very useful. For example, it has allowed the emergence of a new power elite to take the place of the old, new up to a point, but with certain characteristics and sad rehashes of old habits and personages. This is the way the opinion functions. Now consider comparing this process of opinion-making, which is of considerable advantage to power alone, to the construction of an idea force that might be an in-depth analysis of the concept of justice. The difference is abyssal. But what is right? 
For example, it was certainly right for many, and we also considered it right ourselves, for ex-Socialist Party leader Craxi to be forced to remain locked up in his villa in tu Tunisia. The whole thing has been quite amusing. It has even made us laugh, made us feel good, because it is quite nice when pigs at that level end up being put out of circulation. But is that real justice? For example, Andorati is in difficulty. It seems he kissed Rina, the mafia boss, on the cheek. Such news certainly makes us smile, makes us feel better, because a pig like Andorati was annoying even at a simple physical level. Just seeing him on TV was enough. But what is this idea of justice? Justice for the, for the prosecution, DiPietro and Barali have a horde of supporting fans. Millions of people have been drawn to this process of uniforming opinion. Is the concept of justice we need to ponder on any different? What should it lead to? It should lead to us recognizing that if Craxi or Andriotti are responsible, then people like DiPietro or Borilali are responsible to the same extent. Because if the former are politicians, the others are all magistrates. The concept of justice means fixing a demarcation line between those who support and defend power and those who are against it. If the very existence of power is unjust, and if all attempts, some of which we have just seen, reveal themselves to be no more than self-justifying swindles, any man of power, more or less democratic as he might be, always stands on the wrong side of justice, no matter what he does. To build such a concept of justice obviously means to form an idea, an idea you don't find in the newspapers, that isn't gone into in the classrooms or university auditoriums, that cannot become an element of opinion or lead people to vote. In fact, such an idea leads to internal conflict. Because before the tribunal of oneself, one asks, but I, with my idea of social justice, how do I see it when what DiPietro does seems good? Am I being taken for a ride too? Am I also an instrument of opinion? A terminal of the great processes for maintaining power becoming not only their slave, but also their accomplice? We have got there at last. We have reached the point of our own responsibility. Because if it is true that for anarchists there is no difference between theory and action, as soon as the idea of social justice lights up in us, illuminates our brain even for a split second, it will never be able to extinguish itself again. Because no matter what we think, we will feel guilty. We will feel we are accomplices, accomplices to a process of discrimination, repression, genocide, death, a process we will never be able to feel detached from again. How could we define ourselves revolutionaries and anarchists otherwise? What freedom would we be supporting if we were to give our complicity to the assassins in power? You can see how different and critical the situation is for whoever succeeds, through deep analysis of reality or simply by chance or misfortune, in letting an idea as clear as the idea of justice penetrate their brain. There are many such ideas. For example, the idea of freedom is similar. Anyone who thinks about what freedom actually is, even for a moment, will never again be able to content their, themselves by simply doing something to slightly extend the freedom of the situations they are living in. From that moment on, they will feel guilty and will try to do something to alleviate their sense of suffering. They will fear they have done wrong by not having done anything till now, and from that moment on, their lives will change completely. Basically, what does the state want from the formation of opinion? What does power want? Yes, of course, it wants to create mass opinion, because from that they are able to realize certain operations, such as voting, the formation of power groups, and so on. But that is not all they want. They want our consensus. They want our approval. And consensus is gained through precise instruments, especially those of a cultural nature. 
For example, school is one of the reservoirs from which consensus is realized and the future intellectual, and not just intellectual, workforce is built. Today, capitalism requires a different kind of person to those it required in the past. Up until recently, there was a need for people with professional capacities, a pride in this capacity and particular qualifications. The situation is quite different now. The world of work requires a very modest qualification level, whereas qualities that did not exist and were even inconceivable in the past, such as flexibility, adaptability, tolerance, the capacity to intervene meetings, etc., are required in their place. Huge production units based on assembly lines, for example, now use robots or are built on the conceptual basis of islands, small groups working together who know each other and control each other, and so on. This kind of mentality is not only found in the factory. It is not just a new worker they are building, but a new man. A flexible person with modest ideas, rather opaque in their desires, with considerably reduced cultural levels, impoverished language, standardized reading, a limited capacity to think, and a great capacity to make quick yes or no decisions. They know how to choose between two possibilities, a yellow button, a red button, a black button, a white button. This is the kind of mentality they are building. And why are they building it? At school, but also in everyday life. What will they do with such a person? They will use them to bring about all the modifications that are necessary for restructuring capital. They will be useful for a better management of the conditions and relations of the capitalism of tomorrow. And what will these relations be? They will be based on faster and faster change, a call to satisfying non-existent desires, desires that are piloted, determined by small groups that are becoming more and more numerous. This new person is quite the opposite of what we are capable of imagining or desire. The opposite of quality, creativity, the opposite of real desire, the joy of life, the opposite of all of this. How can we fight against the realization of this technological man? How can we struggle against this situation? Can we wait for a day to come, a great day that will turn the world upside down? What the anarchists of the last century called la grande soirée, the great evening or the great day, in which forces no one could foresee would end up taking over, exploding into that social conflict we are all waiting for, called revolution. So everything will change and there will be a world of perfection and joy. This is a millenniarian idea. Now that we are reaching the end of the millennium, it could take root again. But conditions have changed. This is not reality. It is not this waiting that interests us. What does interest us is another kind of intervention, a far more modest one, but one that is capable of achieving something. As anarchists, we are called to do something. We are called by our own individual responsibility and by what we said earlier. From the moment the idea lights up our mind, not the idea of anarchy, but of justice, freedom, when these ideas illuminate our minds and we see the swindle before us, which today, more than ever before, we could define as a democratic swindle, what can we do?